Welcome back to Blair and Barker. Susan Waldman joins us later on in the show to take a look at the Yankees, the Subway Series, the Andrew Benintendi deal, and what the next moves may be for the Yankees. Susan's in her 36th year covering baseball or broadcasting the Yankees, her 18th as color commentator in the Yankees broadcast, the first woman to become a full-time MLB broadcaster. She is going into the Radio Hall of Fame November 1st in Chicago. Yeah, I love Susan. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about in New York with the Andrew Benintendi Mm. acquisition. Um, Let's see what the Yankees are going to do next. Pitching and more pitching. I would think that would be... I would think that would be the case. The uh, Jays open a four-game series against the Detroit Tigers tonight at the Rogers Center. First pitch is 7.07. The Major League trade deadline is Tuesday at 6 Eastern. We mentioned the Yankees have already made a move, and I would presume that at some point over the next couple of days, we will see other moves made as well. I wonder what it's like to be in a, in a clubhouse, a contending team's clubhouse at the trade deadline the balance between knowing your team needs something, wanting your team to get something, but being worried about who may depart, which teammate, which friend may depart as a result of it. It's, it's got to be, I don't know if I'd say it's an unsettling time for guys, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly got to be a different time in a major league clubhouse. Ross Stripling uh, of the Toronto Blue Jays joins us. He has certainly been through a trade deadline or two himself. Ross, thank you so much for joining Kevin and myself. We trust that you're doing well. Um, Want to talk, obviously, about where you are this season and, 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 and the team under John Schneider. But just first and foremost, is there, is there a different feel to a clubhouse in the week around the trade deadline, like do, does does something change noticeably? Well, first off, guys, hey, thanks for having me. Um, you know what? It it only does in that we all love to play GM, right? We all love to be like, oh, Castillo's out there. Oh, what would a package look like to get Juan Soto from us? And you know, when we're in the locker room or downtime in the dugout or whatever, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Um, you know, with the team like we have right now, I think we're as confident as anyone that the roster we have can go compete against any team in the big leagues. We've shown that when we play well, you know, we can, we can hang with anybody, but you're also never going to hear us complain about getting better and, and getting someone new through that locker room door on, on August 3rd, that's going to help us win baseball games. So it's, you know, it's, it's, there's more energy guys just kind of talking about who's out there and all that, you know, that you don't really start talking about until this week, but you know, we're all just kind of full of it trying to guess what's going to happen. Ross, is that an individual thing? You know, if you're not a superstar, like I was a superstar player, there's some, there's some good players on really good teams. And you would think those guys are like, man, if they go out and get another starter, what's that going to do to me? Is there any thought process into that? You think? Well, sure. You know, everyone wants uh, their opportunity and wants to go out there and, and prove that they can help the team win. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, it's the big leagues and it's about winning and it's about helping an organization win and trying to chase a ring. And that's what this team, you know, we have aspirations to do that. And, and I don't think we have selfish guys in the locker room that, you know, kind of what I just touched on, that would be mad if we got a player that helps us win games in the AL East, you know, the toughest division baseball by far. I mean, the Orioles are above 500 or 500. You know, it, this, this, every game we play has playoff implications and we need to get better. But, you know, those kind of things can creep into your mind, no doubt. But 
we're getting into August, and all that matters now is is winning and and trying to clinch a spot into October, and then see what we can do. You know, last year we missed it by one game. Think about how many games we missed in late innings or, or just lost or whatever happened um, to come down to one game. You know, we can't let that happen again this year. So it's you know now it's it's about winning baseball games and uh, putting yourself behind the team and their needs. I, I'm interested in how you saw last night's game watching Adam Wainwright and I understand every you know everybody's got their own preparation they have to go through and everything but you know Adam Adam Wainwright comes in and he makes some really good hitters look uncomfortable he's got that 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 curve and then you know you look at his numbers and and all this and the career he's had and just wondering from a pitcher's point of view what makes Adam Wainwright so special well, he just is a well-oiled machine uh, into his early 40s here. You know, I mean, he, he commands four or five pitches, including, you know, one of the best curveballs we've seen in baseball. I have a big curveball, and it always blows my mind how well he can command that thing. I mean, he can just drop it in on both sides of the plate at the bottom of the zone at will. And, you know, as a, a guy that has a similar curveball, those things move a lot. I mean, they have like 20 inches of break on him and you're trying to control that thing over 60 feet it's it's hard to do and then on top of that he can sink it cut it uh throw sliders throw a four seam up in the zone he can just do what he wants so i imagine that you know you put him with yachty who wasn't in there last night but you know you put him with yachty put a good plan together and you talk about a guy that can go out and execute it against any lineup and throw any pitch in any count it gives me uh it gives me hope because uh, here i am going into 32 years old that you know, maybe I could do a little bit of what he does because we're similar, right? And that we have a multi-pitch arsenal that we use in any count, any hitter. Uh, he's just obviously done it over about 150 more wins than I have in, in like another 15 big league seasons. But uh, it gives me hope that maybe into my mid-30s I can keep getting guys out here. Ross, every time you're on our show, you, you've come up with something new. You're doing something to your delivery. So, something's new. What are you most happy with yourself this year? Well, I think it's a little bit of what I just touched on is just the ability to throw anything in any count. You know, the, the change of usage to righties has, has been a game changer for me. You know, I've always been able to throw it to lefties, but really starting to mix it in more to righties and to righties in any count and even for put away, uh, you know, to get strikeouts. So I just think that has really taken a step forward, which was a big priority uh, for me in the off season, maybe something we talked about last time I was even on the show. So it's, it's come to fruition. Um, you know, you're always getting better, no doubt. And you're always tweaking stuff. And now the book is out that I throw that change up to righties. So now it's, you know, reading their swings in real time, you know, trusting my eyes and seeing if they're on that change up or if they're making adjustments to it, then you start going something else. Fastball's up or slider to the other side of the plate or whatever. But for now, uh, the changeup, you know, has been a game changer for me this season. Is pressure something this time of the year? And the re- only reason I ask that is because you used to play for the Dodgers and there's so much pressure this time of the year there. Is there pressure on you to, you know, I guess as a staff, just not you, but how you go out there and attack and, and how quickly you make adjustments, is there that much more pressure now? Well, we certainly understand, um, you know, that every game is heightened and now that we're getting into the dog days of summer and, you know, that you look at basically our whole division is in the playoff mix on, on top of a few other teams. You know, it's, it's probably too early to start looking at the scoreboard and looking at standings, but naturally you look at it. I mean, this is already like the third time I've talked about it in this interview alone. So it's obviously on my mind and on our mind as a team. So, you know, you don't want to put more pressure. This is already the big leagues, the biggest stage and, and sometimes playing in front of 50,000 plus people here at the Rogers center. Um, you know, there's plenty of pressure already. So you, you want to just go out, 
and get off to a good start, you know, especially as a starter, you know, get the first guy out, get through a clean first inning and then settle in and, and get going. You know, if you, if you start saying, man, if we lose this game, you know, our playoff picture is totally out of whack or out of sync or, or changing, like, you know, that's just putting too much on your shoulders. So I think you just go out and try and treat it as a normal game, understanding that it is a big deal and it is AL East, but, um, you know, you can't, you can't bog yourself down with stuff like that when you're in between the lines. Uh, Ross, you, you mentioned all the adjustments you've made. The velocity has went up with you. How have you added velocity in season like you have? Uh, that's been kind of a testament to Matt Bushman, our bullpen coach. So, I, you know, as a guy that's gone back and forth, i got a really good relationship with Pete Walker and Matt Bushman. And they're different. Pete's a little bit more old-school competitor, um, you know, and then Bushman's more of like the new kind of driveline way to ball kind of stuff. They're really good balance and work well off each other. And, and anyways, to answer your question, I have started doing a, a more of a long toss program than I've ever done. Get out to 300 feet a couple times a week and then mixing in some weighted ball stuff. And I, I think that's helped. I mean, I don't think I was ever going to be a guy that was going to throw 95, but if I can live at 92, that gives me a lot more room for error than when I'm 89, 90. So, so far it's helped for sure. Um, you know, so I'm going to continue that and, and hopefully it maintains throughout the rest of the year. Ross, you mentioned a little earlier, you talked about the importance of reading bats. How do you read a bat as a pitcher? Do you, is that, is that uh, you know, obviously you're throwing the ball, you're reading the swing, but when you go back to the dugout, do you go over, you know, do you go to the iPad, go over video just to make sure that what you saw, what you thought you saw is actually what happened? Or, you know, do you just know? And, 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 and that's all there is to it. Yeah, good question. You know, I feel like that's kind of a lost art with, um, and not that I'm great at it by any means, you know, but that used to be how you scouted is the starting pitcher would sit in the dugout and watch the starter from the day before and what the hitters were doing against them and and stuff like that. Now we have so much video and access to information. You know, I can basically know exactly what a guy does against two one sliders or O2 heaters up in the zone or whatever, you know, so you already have so much information that you can build a scouting report on, which I do because I throw four pitches that I feel like that's what gives me an advantage when I'm on the mound is, is I kind of know the answers to the test already, but then you're also reading hitters in real time. Are they making adjustments? Um, you know, if you throw a good change up down and they spit on it, they don't swing on it. You're like, man, you know, what are they seeing there? Okay. Maybe anything down because I throw a lot of off speed, anything down they're spitting on because they want to get something up in the zone, something, you know, either a heater up or a curveball, breaking ball that starts up in the zone that's going to land for a strike. And, you, you know, you're kind of playing chess with the hitters, and you're getting with Pete Walker, you're getting with the catcher, and you're just making adjustments on the fly based on what you're seeing from the hitters and any adjustments they're making to you as you go through your outing. Uh, obviously, they have a, a new manager in John Snyder. You do. Have you seen a, a giant difference? I don't want to throw Charlie under the bus. And I'm not trying to do that because obviously they have a couple of different approaches. But have you seen that big of a difference? And, and, and have you noticed that it's helped in midseason? Yeah, I think so. You know, Snyder's really high energy. A lot of these guys have some history with them in the minor leagues. You know, just good relationships really through and through with John Schneider through our whole roster. And, and he is, you know, a high energy guy. You can see it even with the way that we play. It seems like we're kind of moving on the bases more, maybe playing with a little bit more pep in our step, kind of putting the pressure on, on the pitching staff and their defense more than maybe we were before. That's, you know, that kind of stuff I feel like you can see. And then the other part of it is, you know, it's, it, it's timed well, right? We played a Royals team that left 10 guys behind because of vaccination. We played a really, really down and hurt Red Sox team coming out of the break where we put up 28 runs. Uh, one game, right, and then, uh, you know, split with St. Louis, who left uh, basically two of the three best hitters in the big leagues behind. So it's been a combination of those things. I'm not taking any away from John Schneider and the Blue Jays and how we're playing. we still got to go out and win a baseball game. 
But, um, you know, I feel like it's kind of been a, a combination of, of some really perfect things that have gotten, uh, you know, the John Schneider dynasty off to a good start here. Ross, really good of you to join us today. Thanks yeah. so much, man. Thank Be you well. so much. Good luck. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. Take care. That's Ross Stripling of the Toronto Blue Jays. It's interesting, the answer on, on reading reading bats, because it is, it's, it's something, it's something that, unless I'm wrong, I, I, I quite often remember catchers talking about how they would, it was the catcher that would kind of read, be reading the bat, but, uh, you know, you've got access to so much technology now, and, and it's interesting hearing Ross talk about real time, because you, know, you could, I mean, Kevin, you, you played, uh, there are days where you feel like crap, and mm-hmm. if you're pitching and you've done all your prep work on a guy. Let's say you've done all your prep work on Dylan Carlson or something like that. You got a great game plan. Dylan Carlson's first at bat, he looks like garbage. You can tell, God, this guy's not having a good day. I that's okay. You gotta where flip that. You gotta it. flip that on the other side. Say you throw a good two seamer and he was late on the two seamer and he took a real weird swing on it. But you don't feel good with your two-seamer. Grip, hmm. something, your fingers feel right. swollen. Whatever the yeah. case is, like mechanically, you're just not getting it up. The release point's not right. What does it but mean? he was showing you yeah. that he didn't like it. What do you do? That's the question, right? Yeah. It's, it's not the easiest thing to do because you, every pitch matters so much. And I think the added velocity yes. has really helped him. That's why I asked the question is, and he get, he always gives great answers about the weighted ball and the, and the long tossing and doing it in season. Yeah, that's not, that's not the easiest thing to do. Like it's because it may not work. Like you just trust in a coach. Try this. It worked with that dude. So it may work with you. So try it. And to actually buy into having two different pitching coaches. And he told you mm-hmm. they're going to opposite directions. Like yeah. one's thinking one and one's thinking the other, but they, they both have a little something to offer. And you're taking a little piece of that. And you're taking a little piece of that and you're meshing them together and you're actually going out and applying it. And it's actually working. So to listen to him, answer your question and answer my question and mesh those two together. You can understand why they're they're thinking about giving them a deal, like actually having a conversation about maybe three years and whatever the number is, two years and whatever the number is, because he's I, there and he'll make every adjustment that he has to make to help his team win a baseball game. Yeah, to me, it's 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 a slam dunk. I gotta I gotta have I've got to have a multi year deal with. Obviously, the, well, the I, numbers have to numbers have to you match. You wonder up. about the Yusei Kikuchi deal that you gave him that nobody else would give. And would that make you uh, not See, sure I don't if think, I do it or here's not? Here's the thing. You know Ross Stripling more than you knew Yusei Kikuchi. I, I understand everybody is scared of risk. Look, there's, there's, risk, there's risk with every pitcher. Like, there's risk with every player. Look what happened to Mike Trout yesterday. Look at the reports of Mike Trout. Now, he's kind of walked back the, 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 the – the back injury thing a bit. I mean, God, yesterday at one point I came away thinking Mike Trout was never going to play another game uh, because of the the back issue. I'm not be I'm not belittling it. I'm just saying it sounded like a back issue that you're going to have to monitor the rest of your career, let alone the rest of your life. That ain't good when you're a high performance athlete. So he's kind of walked back some of the stuff that the trainer said. But the point is, there's risk in everything. Sometimes. I just think you look at a guy and you say, this guy 
We asked him to do this. He did this. We asked him to do this. He's done more than that. We've asked him to do this. He's done it better than we thought he would. Let's be honest. We didn't even ask, and he still did it. We didn't even ask, and he still did it. Oh, and by the way, he was, he emerged as a, an important guy Sure. During labor, during very contentious I, labor negotiations. Like, I, you know, you talk to people around that team. You know, Ross Stripling carries a crap ton of weight. He does. As, as he's he should. driving the boat. As he should. He carries a crap ton I, of weight. I, I think it's a no-brainer, what, what's Kevin. The pri- what's the price on a guy that can go two times through an order? That's 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 what you're paying him for. Mm-hmm. They, they've, they've shown you they're not going to let him pitch third time through. A couple of batters, maybe. But that's about it. What's it worth to give you two yeah, times through an order in the American League East? That's the question you got to ask yourself. I don't even. I mean, I can't even. I don't even. I didn't even know dollar wise. Um, would you give him your Kikuchi money? No. What no. are we? What are we talking about then? Two, two, two for twenty-four. I got I, I, uh, three for three for thirty. See what I Three would for 30 is 10, 10 a year. Is he worth 10 a year? Here's yeah, what I do here, it in the American League East. Here's what I would do with him. I I, I, here's what I would do with him. Uh, I, I would give him, I would approach him about a contract that includes clauses for starts, uh, innings pitched. Starts are kind of bad because then you get into the, the whole situation where the front office can manipulate your starts in order to avoid you from, in, in order to prevent you from reaching, from vesting. But I would do something like that with him that rewards him for continued, rewards him handsomely, not just throws him a bone, here, but rewards for him handsomely. For me, here's the deal. If you don't, you're losing him. Yeah, he, yeah. He's getting it from somebody. Hell, after what you've seen he's from him this year. He's getting it from somebody, I'd, I'd, and he's doing it in the American League East. Yeah, after what you've seen from him this year, he, I would absolutely put him, I would absolutely have him in my, I'd have no problem having him in my staff. But it would be easier to do it now. Then it, would it be when he's walked away and, and had conversations with other teams? And the other thing you have Interesting. to the other thing you have to remember about Ross Stripling too is, uh, you know, he's he is a legit investment counselor. He is a business guy. He has a well degree. Said. He, uh, you know, I was actually gonna. I joked with uh, Adam, the JSPR guy, said I was gonna ask one of the questions I wanted to ask Ross was his read on the Fed's decision to hike interest rates by three quarters of a basis point. He just kind of looked at me. He said, he probably has an answer. And I said, yeah, he probably does. So, I mean, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a smart dude. He's making 3.79 million this year. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. So yeah. It almost makes too much sense. So that would probably tell you it's not going to happen, but it's, it's pitch. It's, it's right in front of you. Uh, and again, it's, it's about what they think he's worth. Yeah. That's the question. Because uh, you don't want to be paying your fourth and fifth guy a lot of money because you've made one mistake. Well, hopefully it's not a mistake and they can correct it. And you say Kikuchi comes out and throws a lot of fastballs for strikes. And maybe he just need a little bit of a adjustment period. It'd be interesting. We're giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long on Blair and Barker, whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 590-590. Yesterday, we asked you who managed Cleveland to two World Series appearances in the 1990s. The answer was Mike Hargrove, whose nickname when he played was a human rain delay because he took so long in the box. Mm. Today's question is to win tickets to see the Jays and Guardians at the Rogers Center. On August 14th. 
And again, you can text the answer to 59590. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. The question du jour. I would have had to think about this. Which Cleveland pitcher was named the 2016 ALCS MVP following their series victory over the Blue Jays? Okay. Which Cleveland pitcher was named the 2016 ALCS MVP following their series victory over the Blue Jays? Would you have gotten it? Uh, I'd had to think about it. Yeah. And then look it up. And then you... Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those, I have no idea. Oh, yeah, I should have known. That's exactly what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, again, text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. 7.07 will be the first pitch tonight. You say Kikuchi against Tyler Alexander. The Detroit Tigers are in town. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, one of the teams linked consistently with the Blue Jays on the rumor mill along with teams such as the Chicago Cubs. Um, I, Kev, do you think if, if, if the Red Sox decide that they're going to move Nate Uvalde, do you see any way they make that deal inside the division? No. Knowing that, yes, he is a free agent, but knowing that in, in, a, in addition to giving him to the Jays, you would be basically giving the Jays a two-month w- exclusive window to talk to them. Maybe he likes it here. Uh, other starters have. Well, wouldn't he like Maybe it? Maybe he likes it here, and he decides, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll I would say no to that. Here. I would say no to that. No. Why would you have to? That's still got to be Why would th- you have to? That's still got to be a thing, though, right? Like, uh, Anthony Recker was talking about Juan Soto. Do you see Juan Soto being traded to a team like the Mets? No, that's different. Even if you were getting... That, that's different. The, the Nationals, for me, are are a little bit further behind. You're just taking the best offer. You, you, absolutely. Absolutely. You, so you even if Juan Soto's coming into your yard, possibly for the next, maybe he signs an extension I mean, I with the Mets finish. and he's coming into your yard for the next 10 years. Well, I, and he's going to be finish. kicking your ass. Oh, that's okay. Oh, 10 years. He, he'll probably still do that anyway. Oh, there you go. But not, not 12 times a year or whatever it is. Well, the Mets got a good chance of signing him because that owner can write a, a bigger check than most human beings can. I... I, I would. That that would be a no-brainer to me, taking the highest bidder. But it's there there's, there's going to be some competition for him, I think. Yeah, there's a really good read on uh, ESPN.com. I think it was uh, – I'm going to take a look who wrote it. But it was breaking down – it was a look at, at the at, – at baseball trades that have been made involving franchise players, right? So So – um, you know, players who are, uh, you know, I mean, just superstars. Uh, it was by David David Schoenfeld. It's a, it's a really good read on some of the recent deals and what teams got. You know, like we're talking with Juan Soto. Equivalent would be, like, let's look. Ken, Ken Griffey's trade to the Reds in 2000 by the Mariners. Mariners got Mike Cameron, Brett Tomko, Antonio Perez, Jake Meyer. Was he 23? Uh, I don't know how old he was then. Um, Seattle had its best, made the playoffs in 2002-01. They had their best four seasons, 90-plus wins after that deal, during which Mike Cameron produced an 18.4 war. 
Um, so it worked. It worked. Marlins trading Josh Beckett to the Red Sox in 2005. Josh Beckett, Mike Lowell, Guillermo Moda. They got Hanley Ramirez, Anibal Sanchez, Jesus Delgado, Harvey Garcia. The Red Sox won the World Series. Hanley Ramirez was pretty good for the Marlins. The Marlins traded Miguel Cabrera to the Tigers in 2007, along with Dontrell Willis, for Cameron Mabin, Alan Miller, Burke Badenhop, Frankie De La Cruz, Dallas Treherne, Mike Rebello. Uh, Miguel Cabrera is going to the Hall of Fame. Enough said. This is a deal not many people remember. It was big at the time. The Rangers trading Mark Teixeira to the Braves in 2007, along with Ron Mayhe for Elvis Andrus, Matt Harrison, Neftali Feliz, Jared Saltalamaki, and Bo Jones. Uh, that was a good haul. Well, you need a lot, the of Texas Rangers. a lot of names. It was a good haul for the Texas Rangers. And this is the example. Do you go for quantity over quality? Because there's, there's two ways you can work these trades. Uh, well, go for both. the big name or go for quantity both. over quality. One, so, one great one and five other ones. Yeah, and, and, you know, there are other, it's not always, you know, Matt, Rockies traded Matt Holiday to the Athletics in 2008. It was a big deal at the time. Matt Holiday's a hell of a player. The Rockies got Carlos Gonzalez, Houston Street, Greg Smith. Carlos Gonzalez was a terrific player. Mm-hmm. Houston Street saved 84 games in three seasons. That was pretty good. Now, Matt Holiday's a good player, but you'd have to say the Rockies did okay. So, I mean, you can go down, and it's a terrific article. There are, there are, there are different trades you can go down through history when you're talking about trading trading a a a player like Juan Soto, and it it, it really does come down to quantity versus quality. And I think what that does in a lot of ways is that shows you how close an organization thinks it is to getting its rebuild going or how quick a turnaround it's going to be. If an organization takes four guys and you're looking at the prospect list and you're going. Got to have more chances to get it right yeah. for me. I'm, I'm with you. And that's why Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, has come out. And whether or not it, he could just be blown smoke, he said, look. All this stuff that I'm tying Patrick Corbin's contract with, I'm not doing that. I want the best I can get for Juan Soto. I'll deal uh, with the Patrick Corbin stuff. He said it out loud down the road. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. He said. He said. I. I'm. We're if, trading if, him. If we're well, no. He said if we're trading him, we're trading for the best package. I'm not going to get cute and say you've got to take Patrick Corbin's, you know, whatever it is, sixty million, and and no, I want a hall of players back for Juan Soto. Essentially, what he's saying is, I've got new ownership coming in. We'll figure out the money thing. But I want players for Juan Soto. I'm not going to get Number cute. one prospect in baseball would help. Who is the number one prospect huh, in baseball? Who is it, Jeff? Depends who you talk to. Uh, Susan Waldman is going into the Radio Hall of Fame. Susan Waldman is, of course, 18 in her 18th year as a radio color commentator on the Yankees broadcast. The Yankees made a bit of news yesterday, obviously, with Andrew Benintendi. They just finished the Subway Series, and all indications are that uh, Brian Cashman still got a shopping cart out, and uh, he's apparently heading down the aisle in Cincinnati right now looking for, uh, looking for Luis Castillo. That's what the scuttlebutt is. We'll talk to Susan Waldman about it. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 360 and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Barker's back leg bits in a few minutes. We've got some questions for Mr. Barker. Um, I've also got a major correction I have to announce on the air, I've been told. Uh, about something Kevin Barker said yesterday. And uh, I was asked yesterday by someone, someone close to both of us, to uh, correct, no correct some bad information that you wow. gave out in the air. Under the bus you threw me, huh? Well, it has to Leave be Leave it done. to you. has to be done. Um, it's better be good. Well, it, 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 it's important because... Well, it better be good. It, it, this person said that it's something that needed to be said. and um, How come that person didn't say it? What? That, that person needs to say well, it. They, want, they said, I would rather you deliver it and pass it so on to Kevin. So they didn't say it. You're just making this up. I'm not making it up. It's something you said yesterday that was erroneous, and I have to correct it. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that later on. Uh, this much uh, is not erroneous. Um, our next guest is uh, well. We've we've had Susan Waldman on many times. Oh, a trailblazer um, in a lot of different ways, and uh, now being inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. November 1st in Chicago, Susan Waldman joins us on Blair and Barker. Susan, thanks for this, and uh, congratulations. It's always good to go into a Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> no question. It, 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 it's a good thing. Congratulations. All, all, all kidding aside, congratulations on that. It's, uh, I mean, it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's justly deserved, and, um, and, and, and uh, it's got to be really special. Yeah, it's it's cool, and thank you. But I want to know what was erroneous. Me too. I heard that whole thing. I, I want to know what he said that was erroneous. I have to, he too. never says anything that's erroneous. I, I have to wait. Well, it, it takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of development, and I don't want to take away our I think time he's to talk it about it. Right, will you will you text me and tell me what it was when I, you're done? I will indeed do it. I will indeed <laughs> I will indeed do that. I will indeed do that. So, what are the chances that Luis Castillo is a Yankee by the time we finish this interview with you? Um, I don't know about um, whether it's going to be now or the day before the trade deadline. I would be really surprised if he's not walking in the door, and there'll be a lot of Yankee people that are surprised and, and upset. I I just think they've got the prospects to do it. I mean, the idea that they got, I, I, I have. I did know of one of the prospects that they traded away for, um, you know, for Andrew Benintendi, and I do know one of the three, but they've got plenty of big-time prospects that you could give for a number one guy that you're not going to lose at the end of the year. I mean, he's got time left. And, and really, it, it, they, need, they need him. They need somebody like that, and I don't know if there's anybody like that. And he had an audition, quote-unquote, the other day. I, he was unhittable against the Yankees. Mm. Unhittable. In the middle of Yankee Stadium, people yelling and screaming, and he was smiling and throwing, <laughs> throwing those pitches and dotting it and throwing 96 and throwing it all over the place. Fabulous. And he and from what I gathered from Cincinnati, he'd fit in perfectly. He doesn't scare. And um, it would be terrific. I know there's probably some reporter somewhere um, from another team saying the exact same things that I'm saying maybe in St. Louis. Uh, that he's going to go there, but um, he'd be perfect, and I think that's their number one target. Susan, when you see the Astros beat the Yankees, what does that tell you? It tells me that um, the Astros are for real, except when they're playing the Oakland A's, <laughs> and they've still got uh, they've still got their number, and um, they play differently. Those two games in Houston, uh, that to me now is the rivalry. 
I mean, I was even, my stomach was in knots with all those games that were here. And they play, they play tough, and they're just, right now, they're better. They're just better. Their pitching is better. And um, the game that they lost here in, in New York, it was because Ryan Presley had been used three days in a row, and he gave it up. They're very good, and they play every kind of baseball. And the Yankees are getting back to that, not just hitting home runs and losing if they don't hit the ball out of the park. Uh, the Astros run. They go the other way. They do all kinds of things like that. They're, they're terrific. They're, they're really, really good. And um, that, to me, is their competition, which is why they have to get the best record, because if they have to play a game, and I'm not saying they can't walk into the wild card and get beaten or whatever happens, but um, if it comes down to Yankees and Astros, the Yankees better have home field because it's really hard for them to win in Houston. I was just about to ask that. What part of their game benefits the most in Yankee Stadium for the Yankees? Um, obviously the short porch, except the other team can use the short sure. porch also. Mm -hmm. um, that does, and the, the you know, people say the crowds don't make any difference. I'm sorry, they do. And that's, you know, and you've seen that. You've mm -hmm. seen it when, I remember in the, the 90s when Toronto was winning in those years in the early 90s, that, and Jeff was there, those crowds made a big difference. Yeah. They really did. I mean, you couldn't hear. You could, it was amazing what was going on there in those days. I think it's um, the confines of the stadium or what, what helped the Yankees. But I think they're trying to change the way they play. You're seeing them now go the other way. You're seeing them steal bases. What is Aaron Judge? Nine for nine and stolen bases? Anthony Rizzo got, got thrown out for the first time. Um, it's a different kind of game that they're trying to play. And, you know, because you're not always going to hit home runs. And that's, you know, that when people get into that, that we're going to win because it's, if, it's easier to hit a three-home run off a three-run home run off a pitcher than, score, than have five hits and score a run that way. Well, it is, but that doesn't happen when you're throwing, you know, when you're, you're hitting against Justin Verlander. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see the Yankees trying to uh, develop, but also the crowd in Houston is the same as it is in Yankee Stadium. They're pretty good, and that roof is always closed, and it's very, very loud, and it's a tough, it's a tough place to win a game. Andrew Benintendi seems to be almost the perfect ad for the Yankees yep. in terms of position player, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And it's and he is now back to the kid that we all saw when he came up in Boston. I remember when his his rookie year, and he he would kill the Yankees. I don't have the stats of what it was, but he used that right field porch, uh, doubles and home runs, and he was just and he's a terrific left fielder. Um, he and then I think for a year or so um, they decided to give him that launch angle, so he'd hit home runs, and he stopped hitting. I think he hit 20 home runs one year but stopped hitting. And now he's back to that person that I saw with that gorgeous left-handed swing, that level swing that you can drive all over the place. And, you know, you got enough home run hitters on this, on this team. You know, you got enough people that do that. You don't need another one that has holes in his swing that you can strike out. And I think Benintendi is perfect. He's a perfect complementary player. He doesn't have to be um, – a leader here. They've got a leader. He can just come in and play his game, which is a really good one. He's very quiet. I think he's going to fit in um, absolutely perfectly. And yes, if he isn't already, he will get vaccinated. <laughs> Do you think he plays center field a little bit? I don't see why. I mean, because then you've got, if you have him, I mean, they need a left fielder. 
Yeah. I mean, right. they, they, you know, Joey Gallo was playing left. Aaron Hicks was playing left. You know, if you've got, I mean, right, and, and Judge is a really good center he fielder. Is. He's played it his whole life. He loves it out there. I don't know if eventually they have Benintendi, Judge, and Stanton in the outfield, if that's what they're going to do, or if they're going to move Judge back to right and have Hicks play center field. I'm not sure what they're going to do. But right now, Matt Carpenter is playing the outfield every day for the first time in his life, and he's doing fine out there. But now you can, with with Stanton on the shelf for at least two or three weeks, you can put Matt Carpenter, um, who to me is as great a story in this this game as anybody right now, and you can put Martin. Matt Carpenter in the DH spot for a while and have, um, you know, Benintendi, Judge, and Hicks in the outfield in any order that you'd like. So, Susan, where does Joey Gallo end up now? And and what was that just, was that something that was predictable, the the way this turned out? I You know, I don't know. I You know, I, I don't know. Some people just don't belong here. I You know, my heart, I mean, I'm, I'm a people person, and my heart goes out to him because he wanted it so badly. I mean, he grew up a Yankee fan, and um, and they thought that his, um, the, the pure approach he has, you know, the strikeout, the three outcomes, right, the strikeout, the walk, or the home run uh, was what was going to happen. But people find a hole in that swing, and, um, and he strikes out, and doesn't walk all that much. He really has worked at it. I, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, people say, well, he can't play in New York. He wanted it, to, you know, so badly. And he just, um, you know, they put him in these situations now. And, and, you know, the other night when they brought him in to pinch hit against Edwin Diaz, I mean, it, 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 I hate to say it, the most pre- predictable outcome in the history of sports was Joey Gallo, you know, walking out to face Edwin Diaz, throwing 100 miles an hour on a slider. I, it just was, it's, it's all, my heart goes out to him. I hope he goes someplace where he can just relax. I don't know. Does he go to, you know, a, a smaller market? Maybe it's that. I'm not sure it is. I don't know. I don't, you know, but, you know, you've met people that are so nice and you want them to succeed because they try so hard and they want it so badly. And that, I think, as Kevin knows, it sometimes it plays on itself and it makes things yeah. worse. Yeah. Susan, really good. You end up somewhere. I mean, I don't know. Is it, is it less pressure? Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know. But yeah, I, know. I hope he finds success somewhere. He's a, you know, uh you know, you watch someone and they're in the cage hour after hour and they're working and working and they're trying to do it. And it just feeds on itself. And it's, you know, really, I think everybody in Chase, in City Field the other night when he came in and, and they came in with Edwin Diaz with the mariachi band and the trumpets, I think people actually, Yankee fans went, oh, no, this is terrible. Yeah. No, it's uh, somebody, some, you know, it's baseball. Somebody thinks they can reinvent the wheel, and, and there's, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll find a place for him. But you're right. It, uh, it just seemed, you know, from a distance from what we were reading and we were hearing, there are, there are, there are people. It's, it's not, the market's not for everybody. It's like playing hockey in Toronto. It's just not. And no, doesn't it, matter what the analytics just, say, it's just not. It just isn't. And sometimes I wish. Um, and I know that they're starting to now because I know they've asked people about certain people what kind of person they are. And, and people are not iPads. They're really yep. not. And I know that they've said, you know, we could get Joey Gallo to have contact. And maybe they could. And he's tried, but maybe in Joey Gallo's mind, he thinks he's good enough that way. I think of Kevin Moss all the time. If you remember yes. Kevin Moss, who came up, hit all those. And then they got to, they said, oh, okay, he's got a hole here. And Kevin, terrific man, was really stubborn. 
Mm-hmm. I've gotten this far. This is who I am. And when I heard that come out of Joey Gallo's mouth, I went, uh-oh. This is who I am. Sometimes, you know, Wade Boggs was adjusting the day he was retiring. He, the last day, he's in the back trying to figure out something to do something. Alex Rodriguez did that. The best hitters are always looking to adjust. Carl Yastrzemski, the day, the year he was retiring, must have had five batting stances. Kept changing and changing and changing. It's not this is who I am. You know, it's because they adjust to you. It's a game of adjustments, as as you all know, and he just has not been able to do it. I really hope he gets to go someplace where he can go back to being uh, Joey Gallo. People ask me, um, why is it, why did it work in, in Texas? Well, they never played an important game in their whole lives. Yeah. I mean, that's well a bad said. group. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Susan, thanks for doing oh, this as best. always. You're the best. Congratulations. So happy for you. Thank you, guys. Take care. We'll see you down see the road. You soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Susan Waldman uh, going into the Radio Hall of Fame. That's great. Good for her. Yeah, she's 36. She's the best. 36 years covering broadcast. Yeah, people, People. I mean, I've always, I've, I've talked about Susan a great deal. I just have so much respect for her. Me and too. I know, um, you know, that my daughter met her and just, she's, she is a, she's a she's role got time model. for everybody. She's a role model for a she lot, sure for does. a lot of people. And, you know, she did the hard yards. Like she was a, she was kind of doing what Sweeney, Sweeney Murdy was doing for a while. She was Mm -hmm. a reporter on the Yankees beat and she was getting stories and, and uh, yeah, I, I have a great deal of time for her. Um, And it's a richly deserved honor. And, and the great thing about Susan Lance is she has given us the perfect segue. Has she not? It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. Well, I saw you in 2005 hit homers off scoreboards in the International League, uh-huh. so I, I know how you roll. This is the best walk-in music in baseball. This is the new Enter Sandman. This is what they play. It's Blaster Jacks and Timmy Trumpet. I believe Blaster Jax is a uh, Dutch DJ. This is what they play when Edwin Diaz comes into the game to close for the Mets. And uh, it, take a look at it online. It is the new Enter Sandman. It's great. The fans stand up and they're imitating the, the horns and the whole thing. And Edwin Diaz just plays it up perfectly. Like he kind of got the hat at the angle and he kind of saunters in and it's it's tremendous. 103 with a slider. 103 with a slider. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that helps got 103 of the slider he's got in addition to the trumpets uh so let's get to the correction uh because i know a a lot of people have been weighing into social media uh, there's so many of them well no but people are wondering about it does kevin need a lawyer you know has he slandered somebody and that would be me that would be me with you say kikuchi you did like that line yesterday when people were complaining that the Jays didn't give Albert Pujols a parting gift. I said they should have moved Kikuchi up and let him pitch on Wednesday. Uh, somewhat Wednesday funny. to Pujols as a parting gift. He didn't need it. Um, this is our friend Tim Hayes. Oh. Bristol Herald Courier, who has taken offense to... Uh, well, he hasn't really taken offense, but he says that, uh, Kevin, he's very disappointed, and it, it appears to be a matter of some controversy locally mm-hmm. that you forgot when I asked you if you've ever received a standing ovation. Sure. 
He says, Barker got a standing O when Virginia high coach Eddie Eisenhower took him out after pitching four and a third scoreless innings in the 1993 VHSL Group AA State Championship game in Bristol. Virginia high won 1-0 over 1-0. Jesus. Oh, boy. One, one. I bet that's what it Yeah, it was one. What was the score in that game? Yeah, it was 1-0. Uh, Virginia high won one nothing over Turner Ashby. Nice. In 13 innings, one of the greatest championship games in yeah. state high school baseball history, you, Mr. Barker, uh-huh. received a standing ovation at that game. How could you forget that? Uh, How could you forget that? I should have remembered it. I forgot. Because Turner asked me, they were... Oh, they were all over. T- they were good. They were good. Oh, yeah. Not as good as you guys. Obviously not. I got a standing O. <laughs> Four and a third. We're in a third scoreless. Did you, and you would have hit in that game too, did you not? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I might have hit the homer. Oh, come on, really? Yeah, there you go. Well, so mm. I'm just saying. It is uh, time for Barker's back league. I want to play the Edwin Diaz, the Blaster Jacks from now on. Well, you sort of ruined it because you talked over it. Well, yeah. So that's... we need to end the show by it being turned up. Okay, we'll end the show and play with it With no loudly. talking we'll from end, Jeff Blair. We'll end it loudly for Pitt. It was kind of, I, I kind of had the, anyhow. Ah, hey, pop-up slides. Rob Hallwell is intrigued about this. He has a simple question for you, Kevin. Talk to me. Why do MLB players not know how to do a pop-up slide? Well, I think that's broad. I think that's that's a, I mean, that's a good question. Not knowing how is strong. I think it's the opportunity when they have to use it is a lot of the times what they don't know. It's not that they don't know how to do it, because we saw Vladdy actually, I think, the next time he got on base, when that he did a pop-up when slide at second you base. Well, when it's, it's when you know the, the play's going to be bang-bang. Like, you want to get there and get out of it really quick, right? You don't want to linger around the bag. So you want to get to the bag and get up quickly to make that play a little bit easier for the umpire to call. Now, the, the instant replay obviously makes it a little easier for both teams to figure out what's going on. But it's that quick, right? You want to get to it, you want to get out of it. You want to get to it, you want to get out of it. And you don't want to linger around the bag. That, for me, is that's the pop-up slide. And a lot of the times is, you know, everybody wants the the sliding, the perfect slide with the hands up. I was never that guy. I was a big man. It was just I was getting there the way I got there. Like, mm-hmm. there was no, you weren't going to take a picture of me and showing it to young kids and saying, say, you doing? Nah, 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 nah. I'm getting there. And a lot of the times mine was a pop-up slide. Yeah. Because I was going hard. Like, I was just letting it eat and... You know, I was Kirky, just running around them things with my tongue hanging out. Well, you were a little faster than Kirky. I was. I was. I was. I was a good base runner. But I just think it's it's situations that you need to know when to do it that could make calls easier and you the outcome be what you want it to be. But and maybe who knows? Maybe with the uh, change in rules, maybe I don't know if they're going to bring in bigger bags or everything. Maybe, maybe it'll come back into the game. We've maybe seen, we've seen to the Oscar game. do it a bunch of times, where the pop-up slide, the, yeah, he the does perfect slide with the you know the whichever foot you want to slide with, and and start your slide on the fanny that you want to start it on. It's that leg and the perfect you know where it's hands in the air. I was. It's just I. I think a lot of the times you overthink it, and players right. overthink it. The perfect slide instead of. Just go in and have a, 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 you know, your foot sideways and be able to use the side of the bag to where all that lingering around and your foot slipping on top of the bag, none of that will happen. 
And, and a lot of young guys now head first, right? They're it thinking is. head first, I which wanna... is always kind of that's always kind of scared me, just because that's where hands, necks, heads. I understand. Well, legs a lot are of that is too, where but... the defender's standing, and and you know you can't block the plate anymore at home plate, and you can go head first now, and it's cute. Huh? It's cute because now the front of your jersey's dirty and not the back part of it, so it's kind of and it looks good when you have long hair. There too. you go. When you have long hair. Um, Warren McKay, hope all's well. Yesterday, you and Kevin were talking about a couple of days ago, talking about routines, specifically Manoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got me curious about the daily routine of a major league player. If you have a game at seven, this is a good question. If you have a game at seven p.m., let's say, walk me through your prep from the moment you wake up until game time. So, Kevin Barker, quickly, seven huh? o'clock. Yeah, quickly, seven o'clock game. Give me your seven day. Or seven o'clock. I get up at uh, eight. 30-ish. You played the night before, too, so you got Absolutely. I play, I play 8.30. 8.30, you go to get your go to your favorite coffee stand. You get your coffee. Uh, you know, you, you're slow moving. The older I got, the slower I got. Uh, I'd go, if you're a breakfast guy, I wasn't much of a breakfast guy, I'd get a, some kind of bar, you know, just did something to tide me over till I went to Jimmy John's, <laughs> depend on how I was hitting. And then I'd go through the drive-thru of that. I'd be at the field, say, one-ish. That'd be about the time I got there. I wanted to get there early. I wanted to make sure my uniform was hanging in the locker the way it was supposed to be hanging there. My shoes were clean. It was a big deal to me. You look good, you play good. That was a big thing to me. So I'd eat my lunch at the field. Then I'd have my little, you know, I wasn't much of a going to the, to the trainer's room. I wanted to stay as far away from those people as I possibly could. So i wander in to the tee in the batting cage. If I was going really bad, the tee work would be on the field. That's why I'd be there really early because I was a finish guy. I wanted to get to my finish, and I wanted to see it actually working mm-hmm. so I could replay that in my mind. If I get to my finish and I hold my finish and I'm in the game, I know where the ball go because I've done it so many times off the tee. That's why when I saw Vladdy hitting homers off the tee, <laughs> I used to do that line to line. You got a meal then, BP? Meal or what? Not really, not really because, you know, most of the time I was at the minor league level, and then the minor leagues, you know. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, you didn't need a lot. <laughs> Were you a guy who came out late for the game, or were you out in the field early? Uh, yeah, it depends. The older I got, the later I went to the field. Uh, Bark and myself will be on Blue Jays Talk tonight. We'll be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590 Defense, Sportsnet 360. Have a great day, everybody.